Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. And we are in the book of Romans. And today we will begin Romans chapter 12. And so I want to just read the first two verses today. And we're going to look at these in a little more detail as we progress through this wonderful book. We're taking our time because it's such a tremendous treatise that Paul has given us and we want to get the weight and the meat of it and not rush it. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let's discuss Romans chapter 12 by first making a brief review of where Romans chapter 12 is in this great treatise. So we've come through the first 11 chapters and we see them in sections. And so in a sense, section one is chapters one through five where Paul establishes justification by faith alone in Christ alone, through God's grace. Praise be to God. We see in Romans chapter 1 through 5 that every single person is born a sinner and sins and is in a sinful condition, guilty before a holy God, in need of a Savior. And we see that God provided that Savior. He sent Jesus the mercy seat, the propitiation for our sins. Because God loved us, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's through faith in his finished work alone, because he died on the cross and his blood is enough alone to pay the sin of all the world of all time. His blood is enough. We believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and God raised him from the dead as proof positive, accepting his payment that guarantees that all guilty sinners who will believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins and turning to him, will be justified by faith, will be saved by faith alone in Christ alone, through the mercy and grace of the Almighty God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we saw in chapter six through eight that he tells us about this process that what does that mean to us now? What does it mean in, la- in daily living? And so it's called sanctification. It's a big fancy word. It just means holy living. It means our life now is set apart to him. We live for him. We live in honor of him. We live in appreciation of him. And through him, we have brand new life. And we learned about what that is. Chapter 6 and chapter 8 kind of define that for us. Chapter 7 shows us we cannot do it on our own. We can try all we want, but willpower alone will not, will not get it. But chapter 8 shows us how God has provided this 
And how it comes to pass is through the power of the Holy Spirit working with us, working in us, working through us, and us cooperating then and living according to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we looked at chapters 9 through 11. So Paul clearly identifies for us what this means for the Jews, for the church, the Gentiles, and how it all comes together and what is God's design. So he teaches us there, explaining to us that we are all one whole body. There is one olive tree with Jesus at the root of it. It is him who is the source and the supply. The original Jews that believed in Jesus are the original branches of that olive tree that remain in that tree. Jews that don't believe in him, that have rejected him, have been broken off, but they can be grafted in again. Praise God. And then the tree also consists of Gentiles, the wild olive branches that have believed in Jesus Christ upon hearing the gospel, and we have been grafted in to that same tree, in with them and among them, Paul says. And it's all been done by the great ocean depth of the mercies and wisdom and knowledge of God that is mind-blowing and unsearchable. Praise be to God. And so that's the power of where we've come so far. So now Paul is going to get into the nuts and bolts and the practical details in different areas and spheres of life, practical daily living. What does it mean in the nuts and bolts of daily life? And how do we live for Jesus Christ? What does that mean? How do we live out this sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to talk about these in a few different areas. For instance, he's going to focus on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. He's going to focus on being in the church and what that means and the interpersonal relationships as well as how to serve the Lord, how to understand and fulfill our callings. He's going to touch on government, money. He's going to touch on awareness and alertness and discernment, how to live in the days in which we live. He's going to touch on the care that we should have for one another, plus many more things in this final section of the book of Romans, which is chapters 12 through 16. So getting into chapter 12, I want to really focus and hone in on these first two verses for today. First of all, he tells us here, I beseech you, therefore. When you always see a therefore in Scripture, it's there for a reason. It is always taking you back and tying to what comes before it. And that, in a sense, forms the basis for what he's telling you next. So he's saying that in light of chapters 1 through 11, in light of all that we just talked about, in light of everything that we have learned up to this point, and in light of these ocean depths of the unsearchable judgments and mercies of God 
his wisdom, his truth beyond past finding out. In light of all of that, therefore, Paul says, I now beseech you. In other words, I'm begging you. I'm inviting you. I call you near. This is very important, and I really want to invite you in. I want you to join me in this. I want you to do this also. And so he says, what is he inviting us to do? Well, he tells us to present our bodies. In other words, to offer ourselves, to place the whole of us. That's what it's talking about. It doesn't just mean our bodies. It means our body as a sound whole. Our body, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our thinking, our emotions, every bit of it presenting it at the disposal of God, at the disposal of the Lord, presenting ourselves to the Lord, standing in readiness, bringing ourselves and dedicating ourselves to Him. It's the exact same word that's used in Luke chapter 2 when it talked about how they came after Mary's purification days were over and they brought Jesus to present Him to the Lord. It was the, the Pityan Habin, the redemption offering they were bringing as well as her purification offering into the temple. And they were presenting him to the Lord, which was the firstborn, the redemption of the firstborn. And so they brought him and presented him, dedicating him, devoting him to the Lord. And that's what it's talking about here, presenting ourselves dedicating ourselves and placing ourselves in submission and at the disposal of the Lord in readiness to do His will, to be submitted under His Lordship and to live this thing out because He's brought us into a brand new life. And Paul says, do that with all of you, every part of you. Several years ago, there was a group known as Steve and Annie Chapman, and they were a married couple, and they had, I believe, another, maybe another singer with them. I know they had started with one one band, I believe, and then they formed uh, and went kind of out on their own as a couple ministry. And they had an old song called The Secret Place, and it talked about giving all to Jesus, giving him access to every room, every part of you, so that there wasn't a closed-off place. It you know, where you would invite Jesus. Well, you can have all of this except that room. That room is too dirty. What? There's stuff there I don't want to see. There's stuff I don't want you to see. I don't want you to deal with that, Jesus. You can have access to everything else, but not that. That's my secret place. And in the song, I love the song because they talk about in the song, and you can probably look it up maybe on YouTube or something and find it, but in the song, the lyrics, they talk about Jesus wanting to go in that room and when they open the door and let him in, he cleanses that room. He makes it clean. And that's what he wants to do. So Paul is talking here about giving all to him, not having any secret rooms that are closed off, not having any places that are not open to his lordship and his light. Because Jesus, if we have any secret areas in our hearts and in our minds, he wants to get in to cleanse those so that then they're clean and they're fresh and they're bright again. Praise God. So give it all to Him. Present ourselves. 
And then Paul goes on and he says, how do we present ourselves? What are we presenting to the Lord? We're presenting to him a living sacrifice. Now, in the Jewish mindset and in the mindset that we could pick up from the Old Testament, for instance, that might sound like an oxymoron. When they brought the animals into the temple and they killed them, they slain them, they were dead. They were dead as a doornail. The blood was gone. The life was gone. They were nothing. But here, Paul is saying we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. It sounds almost contradictory that we could be dead yet be alive. And yet I want us to see that from the scriptures in a couple of places. The first place I want to go to is in Galatians chapter 2. And I want to read in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So in other words, Paul is just saying here, he's talking about a time when he had an encounter with Peter. Now they loved each other. They were both servants of the Lord, anointed of God, godly men. But that does not mean they were perfect. And so this was an area that, that Peter had a weakness in. And he was hypocritical at this time. And so Paul was addressing that. That's all he's saying here. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So I wanted to read that section to you so you would understand the context of what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 2.20. He is talking about being crucified with Christ, being dead to something and yet alive to God. So what is he saying in that context that he is dead to? And it is legalism. It is religious law and duty. In other words, he was addressing 
the hypocrisy that he saw that Peter had fallen into. When he was with the Gentiles, he was free in Christ and he, he you know, ate with them and didn't have a problem with it. He didn't sin, but he wasn't ashamed to be found with them and to be with them and fellowshipping. And yet when, that was when he was with the Gentile believers. But when he was with the Jewish people that came, then he thought he had to be more pious and Torah observant, and it was hypocritical. And that's what Paul was saying. We don't have to be bound to the, to the works of the law anymore because, Peter, remember, we weren't justified by the law. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So let our yes be yes and our nay be nay, in other words, just be who we are. And we are crucified with Christ. We are dead to the works of the law. We are dead to, to that having any power over us, and we are now alive to God. Now, that's in that context. I also want to read you another place in this same book that we've already looked at, and we have studied this, but I want to point it out because it speaks of also this issue of being a living sacrifice. And it's found in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So in this section, Paul is clearing up for us, and we've, we've discussed it thus far, but I want to go back and point it out here. It's very important. Paul is telling us here that we are dead to sin, and we must reckon ourselves. In other words, deem that. Consider yourself dead to sin, and alive to God now on a daily basis in your practical daily life. That's what he's saying here. And in reference to that, in that same context, Paul is talking about the same thing here as he's talking about in Romans chapter 12. Present your bodies, yourself, as instruments of righteousness to God, not to sin anymore. So he's telling us that we are now dead to sin, but alive to God. We're dead to that old past life that God has saved us from, that Jesus Christ delivered us from. We are saved from that. So now we see two areas where 
We are to be considered and to consider ourselves a living sacrifice, presenting ourselves to God a living sacrifice. First is that we are no longer under the law. We are not bound to it. We are not under its influence. We are not going to try to be justified by it. We're not going to add Jesus plus whatever. Jesus plus any form of works. Jesus plus this. Jesus plus some religious duty. Jesus plus whatever. No, there's none of that. We are dead to that. And we are alive to God because it's Jesus and Jesus only through faith in Him and Him alone. And the same thing is true about sin in our old life. We are dead to that, yet we are alive to God. That means he's talking about now we have brand new life. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us that has given us life and breath and vitality in newness of life that Paul also talked about in Romans chapter 6. This was an unheard of phenomenon to perhaps the Jewish people that understood the Old Testament law. They never heard about a living sacrifice. It's a brand new thing that God has done. And I just point out to you, Revelation chapter 5, we see the lamb who had been slain, and yet he is very much alive. Praise be to God. And it's through him that we have life by the power of the Holy Spirit and a brand new life that we can live. So Paul is strongly urging and inviting us here on the basis of everything that we have seen thus far and the wonders of it, that it is only our duty. It's our reasonable service. It's logical. It's the the thing that the least in a sense that we can do to present our whole bodies, all of us, to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Holy, he says. In other words, being set apart set apart for the Lord now, and acceptable to God. That means to be well-pleasing. And that infers and tells us that we are in a lifestyle now and in a life of obedience, even the habitual, continual practice of living a lifestyle of obedience. Holy, set apart to God, and now acceptable because We are trying to please him. We are seeking to honor him. And Paul says this is our reasonable service. It's logical. It's expected. It makes sense that it would be a logical follow-up to what God has done for us. Do you see when Jesus comes in and you become a partaker of the new covenant, read Hebrews chapter 8 and, and Jeremiah chapter 31. God writes his laws in our heart. He puts it in our heart so that it's not some rules and regulation from the outside, but it's because of something alive inside of us. We become alive to God and we want to serve him and we want to please him in honor and in appreciation of everything he's done for us. Praise be to God. And so he says, it's our reasonable service. And he also says in verse two, coupling this together with verse 1, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, to this age, to its principles, to its thinking, to its patterns, to its worldview, to its philosophies. Don't be conformed to that. What is the word conform talking about? 
means to be molded or to be fashioned, fashioned in the same pattern or likeness. Makes me think of a seamstress. You know, if you do sewing, a seamstress of some kind or a tailor of some kind, you go to sew a, a particular garment, item of clothing or whatever, generally you will start with a pattern. You'll have a quilt pattern or you'll have a nightgown pattern or you'll have a shirt pattern or whatever it is. And you will cut your cloth to fit that pattern and you will sew the seams to fit that pattern. You are looking at that pattern and then making what you're doing in its likeness, in its image. It's the same kind of idea that Paul is talking about here. We are not to look into and, and look at the world's thoughts and philosophies and worldview and patterns and how they're living and then try to pattern our life after that. No, not anymore. Not anymore. That's our old life. We, we have a different pattern now. We have a brand new pattern. We have a brand new life. We are now being worked on by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit of God. We are works in progress, works in process to become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So the whole pattern is different now. Our pattern is to be like Him, not like the world any longer. God is now cleansing us from sin in our daily life. It's interesting because if you look back in the Bible and you go back to when God delivered the children of Israel, notice this, at the Red Sea, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. In other words, God got them out of Egypt. But in the 40 years of the wilderness, God was getting Egypt out of them. It took a long time to get all of the patterns and all of the thoughts and the thought processes of Egypt out of them. That sinful lifestyle, that old idolatrous lifestyle. For instance, the pattern we look at right now, we can just immediately see it in the golden calf image. Where did they get that idea from? From Egypt. Egypt was still inside of them. There was still that sinfulness that was not yet cleansed out of them. And so God was working in the wilderness to get Egypt out of them. He had already gotten them out of Egypt. That, in a sense, is like our salvation. He had brought us into salvation, into a brand new life. But there's still a lot of that old sinful nature in us. And so God works in us to get that sinful nature out of us like he was working in the wilderness to get all the sin out of them. It's done through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we saw in Romans chapter 8. But also like we saw in Romans chapter 8, we must yield to the Holy Spirit and we must cooperate. Remember the law of lift we talked about. And we talked about how that plane can sit on that tarmac and that pilot can go and he can strap himself in and he can do all that. He can be ready to go with his, you know, his cap on and whatever else he, he does to get himself ready. He can get his coffee, whatever. 
and he can be sitting in that plane and he can sit there all day long and it'll never go anywhere until and unless he engages with the law of lift. And it's the same thing with us. God has provided the Holy Spirit to enable and to help us and to supply the power, but we must yield to the Holy Spirit. We must be sensitive to him and we must let him have control in our lives. And if we do that, we will be not conformed to the world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So let's talk about that one. We've referred to it before, but I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about it here. To be transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, and it means to change into something else, to change into another form. Remember we spoke about a moment ago, the new pattern. If you were sewing a, a garment and you used an old pattern, guess what? We don't go, we don't conform to that old pattern. We don't even look at that anymore. We've got a new pattern now. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But this word metamorpho is talking about, for instance, the cocoon. Okay. A cocoon has a caterpillar that goes, that, that becomes, it transforms and comes into this cocoon stage. I don't know the technical terms for it, but I know enough to understand that the caterpillar transforms through this cocoon stage into a butterfly. What enters the cocoon is not the same as what comes out of the cocoon. The new butterfly is totally different. The butterfly is brand new. It is not the same as the caterpillar that went into that cocoon. It has been completely changed into another form. It is totally new and not at all like the old. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he also told us about it in another book. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's true of us, beloved friend. When we call upon Jesus and we are justified by faith, there is a transformation that happens then and we are made new. There's a cocoon stage that we go through and it's, it's instantaneous. I mean, we can't measure it. It's something that happens inside the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is that cocoon that he uses to transform our lives? and to help us in this process that he's talking about here to present our whole being to God as a living sacrifice. What is that cocoon he says here? How do we do that? How are we not conformed, but we are now transformed? It's through the process of the renewing of the mind. Do you see the renewing of the mind is like that cocoon? That's how our daily lives get changed. 
renewing of the mind. Now, I'm not talking about some weird paranormal or evil occultic kind of thing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not talking about some positive thinking, some meditation, some chant. None of that. Absolutely none of that have nothing to do with any of the unfruitful works of darkness. But what I am talking about, this word renewing of the mind means a total renovation. It is making it brand new. So in other words, it's like when you renovate a home or a room in a home. It's kind of like some of these, you know, you'll see on TV maybe these shows about these fixer-upper houses and these redos, these makeovers. And they take something that was maybe old, drab, dirty, you know, maybe even mildewed or whatever, and they completely cut all of that out and work to completely remove every bit and then completely renovate it, make it brand new, put in brand new walls, put in brand new carpet or flooring, put in brand new windows. I mean, they make the whole thing new, decorate it, beautify it, etc. It's a complete change, a complete renovation. That's the cocoon process that we go through, and it's called renewing of the mind. It's a complete change for the better, like changing that house. Hallelujah. I want to read now a few verses in Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he's talking here about the renewing of the Holy Spirit, coupling that with what Paul is saying in renewing the mind here in Romans chapter 12. You see, it's a complete renovation of your life, of your mind, complete different way of thinking. And it's done not through work, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the renewing of the Spirit. He's the fixer-upper. And he carries us through that cocoon stage, changing us, changing our way of thinking. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit with our cooperation, and it's through the process of us growing in the Lord. The best way that we can have our minds renewed to understand, because Paul is talking here about understanding, then having clear understanding of the will of God the good and perfect, acceptable will of God. And the way we do that is to get into God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable or beneficial, useful for us. It accomplishes this in our lives. For doctrine, in other words, teaching us the truth, about the fundamentals of Jesus Christ, the fundamentals of God, the fundamentals of the Bible, the fundamentals of the truth about 
the Lord and who he is and what he has done, etc. We learn good sound doctrine from the word of God, the whole counsel of God. All scripture is useful for doctrine, for reproof. In other words, telling us when we messed up showing us what we've done that's wrong, showing us that bad attitude, showing us that wrong thought, showing us that wrong decision, etc. For correction, telling us that we need to fix it, showing us how to fix it, and then instruction in righteousness, showing us how to live right and how not to fall into that same trap again, how to make a better decision next time, how not to have that bad attitude next time. It's all a process. And the whole of that process, the renewing of the mind comes when we are in the book, when we are in the word of God, when we are in his word, his Bible. And we can't stress enough to get into the word of God. The word of God is that light to us. It is that teacher. It is that word that will work effectively in us through the power of the Holy Spirit so that now then we can know the fullness of the will of God. Don't run to some prophet. Don't run over to some seer or even worse, don't don't go to any of these evil things that may even call themselves Christian You go to God's word, go straight to the word of the Lord. We're warned about this even in the Old Testament as well. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 20, as we begin to draw to a close. Isaiah chapter 8 says this, verse 12. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow, let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. And we've talked about that in the last section of Romans. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, Isaiah continues. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, now here, listen, we need to hear this today. Verse 19, Isaiah chapter 8. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, God is making very clear here. You don't go seeking it from other people. Even if they call themselves Christians, We don't need to be going to hear some prophet's word. We need to be going to the word of the living God and God will speak to us and the Holy Spirit will apply to us what we need from the word of God 
if we will come to him in sincere faith and in sincere desire to hear his will and to obey it. God will speak to you. He wants us to come. He says, to the law and to the testimony. In other words, go to the word of God. You don't go, go to the dead on behalf of the living. You go to God. You go to the word of the living God. And I give you that warning in Jesus' name. Read the word because it is the word of the living God that gives us and reveals to us God's will. He makes us brand new, bright, fresh, and clean when we will present ourselves to him. And then we can be made brand new through the renewing of our minds, not being conformed, not trying to fit the old pattern anymore because we're no longer like that. We're brand new. We have a new, beautiful process. We have a new, beautiful pattern. And we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I want to close with one final scripture. We've read this particular verse, but not the entirety of what I'm going to read you right now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 16. We've talked about this verse several times over the last several episodes. It says this, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So right there, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians telling us, that once we've come to Jesus and we're no longer in any form of blindness or deadness, we're alive to God now, that there's a process that happens. We enter a cocoon stage, so to speak, and the Holy Spirit begins to renovate us, make us brand new, and we are now being transformed into that brand new pattern, the image of Jesus, little by little by little from glory to glory. In other words, from one level of glory to the next, kind of like a ladder from one rung to the next, to the next, little by little being transformed into that image. And the way that the Holy Spirit does that is through the renewing of our minds. And we do that by reading and knowing God's word. I just cannot implore you enough as Paul did here, to present yourselves to the Lord. And then don't follow the pattern of the world anymore, but let the Holy Spirit make you brand new by renewing your mind through the truth of the word, which is where you will learn what the will of the Lord is in whatever matter you face. God will lead you and speak to you if you will seek him and his word. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.